Hope you all had a good night's sleep and ready for today. We have four sessions to go, praise the Lord. Last night I gave just an introduction to the theme of this conference, which is sonship. It's adoption to sons. The only thing that I'm compelled to say from last night's message is the understanding of the word adoption. Our understanding of the word adoption is simply placing a child in a family, preferably a loving family, to raise them as their own. But the Roman adoption was aimed to find a suitable heir for the family when the patriarch of the family died. New Testament understanding of the word adoption is almost like the Roman adoption, with one exception. God always begins with his children, the born-agains, and then the process of the adoption begins. The Roman adoption allowed a stranger to be adopted, but not with God. He always starts with his own children. Having said that, the idea to become sons of God is just beyond human understanding. God's intention and purpose for call of Abraham was to have a race of people who are his sons, and that's sonship. Now, beginning with Abraham, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 11. I'm hoping that all of you read all these verses for this session. As I said last night, I'm not going to have time to read all the text, especially when they have stories. But I want you to be familiar with it before you come to each session. So reading from Hebrews 11, verse 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars in the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared the city for them. Verse 12 says, Therefore from one man and from him as good as dead, this is Abraham, were born as many as the stars, the sky, in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God promised Abraham that he would have descendants, and he described his descendants in two different ways. First, he says, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. These are the heavenly race of people that God desired from the beginning on the basis of sonship. When he talks about that your descendants will be as numerable as stars of heaven, these are the new heavenly race. Then he says, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And these are the physical descendants of the nation of Israel. In verse 13, it says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, as they should not be made perfect apart from us. So Abraham is still looking with us for the heavenly country. Now, let's look at Abraham's call from Genesis. This is Genesis 11, verse 31. It says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran 
and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now following chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. In the book of Acts, Stephen says the same thing, but he says it differently. This is Acts 7, 2. It says, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, life of a believer is a spiritual journey, spiritual pilgrimage, and it begins in the world with this call in Genesis. God says, get out of your country. This is a call which allows no compromise. It is very clear and unmistakable decision to be separated completely from this world to God. The first critical step for sonship in God's rejection of the world. Get out of a country meant Chaldea representing the world. Both the people and the city was rejected by God. The beginning of this pilgrimage for us is when we are confronted by the Holy Spirit and when we say yes to the gospel of our salvation. That's the time that God saves us, puts us in Christ. That's how we came out of the world. That's the beginning of our spiritual journey, being born again. Now the call was for Abram, just as God calls us in the New Testament individually. But as we read the story, Terah and the family not only went out with Abram, but they took Abram out. The entire family of Abram represents our natural life taking control of our spiritual journey or divine call. They came to Haran and stayed there for about 10 years. Quite a lot of time was wasted. This is the first delay in Abraham's spiritual journey. They lived in Haran for 10 years. Then we read that Terah died. Abram left Haran with Sarah to go to the land of Canaan and Lot went along with them. Second cause of delay in Abraham's spiritual life was Lot. Lot was quite a nuisance in his life. And he too represents something from our old nature that keeps hanging on with us, holding our spiritual journey. As we read their story, Lot and Abraham, they both became very rich to a point that the entire land before them could not support all their animals and herds and whatnot. Abraham suggested that they should separate. After their separation, everything Lot did, everything he said, every decision he made, just shows just like our natural life, going contrary with every grain of our call in our spiritual journey. Right after they separated, Genesis 13, verse 14. He said, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. For I will make your descendants as dust of the earth. In other words, what God was saying to Abraham, now that he's separated from Lot, now we can go forward according to my plan. This separation that comes by crisis always is between what is of our spiritual life and from our natural life. That's the meaning of our baptism. Our old man was crucified with Christ, but we brought Terah and Lot with us from the old life. 
As an example of this kind of delay is the nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt. The journey from Egypt to Promised Land, as you remember, it was only 11 days. But it took 40 years for Israel to get to the Promised Land. That's a lifetime that they spend in the wilderness. Abraham represents our spiritual life and Lot represents our natural life. One of faith and the other one just the opposite. Abraham was called the Hebrew which means the man from beyond, that is from beyond the river Euphrates, which separated his old and the new realm in his spiritual journey. As you read Abraham's story in the book of Genesis, we see that he made some mistakes. I'm just going to briefly go over them and pass on. Right after he came to promised land, we read that there was a famine in the land. Abraham decided to go to Egypt. Just before they got to Egypt, this is what he said to his wife. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. Abraham should have stayed in the land and tough it out. And this is one of the things we need to learn in our spiritual life, when the things do not go the way it should. But deciding to go to Egypt, not only he descended physically, but he also descended spiritually. He went from a high level of principles to a low level of policy. And every time we uh, sacrifice other people for any kind of gain, we make everything worse and God will never have it. Sacrificing Sarah for his own skin was totally not acceptable. Same thing he did later on, making the same mistake when he went to the Philistines. Now the next mistake that he did is the story with Hagar. God promised them that he would have a son, but it took a while for Isaac to come. Husband and wife decided to take matters into their own hand, and Hagar surfaced at the right time and the right place. Now, I don't know when Hagar became part of the larger family of Abraham, of servants and maids. Chances are she tagged along when they came out of Egypt. And we have the story of Ishmael, the tragic story that to this day goes on with the nation of Israel. This is as much as I want to talk about Abraham's mistakes. I'm going to give you a reason why I don't go in detail of his mistakes or what they mean and what not. When you come to the Hebrews chapter 11, we talks about the heroes of faith. The apostle never mentions the mistake of any of these people he names, including Abraham. The only thing he says is this what they did by faith or what they said by faith. And he doesn't even say anything good about them. I mean, that's so amazing for me when I saw this years ago. It only talks about their faith. Among them is Joseph. To me, Joseph is one of the moral, decent people in the Old Testament. I'm not saying he was without sin. That's not what I'm saying. God says all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. But he was a moral individual, if you compare with Abraham or David. The only mistake he did, in my opinion, is when he shared what God told him about his future with his family. First, he told them to his brothers, didn't go well with them. Then he shared it with his father, Jacob, and Jacob rebuked him because of that. There are times that God may reveal something to you that should stay private with you. And I'm saying this both from my own experience and from the Bible. Just think about this. If Mary, mother of Jesus, would have shared 
with anybody what Gabriel said to her about how she was going to be pregnant and then deliver the child who was to become the son of the Most High. And then the birth of Jesus all the way to his circumcision in the temple on the eighth day. And everybody who came and saw and said something, Bible says Mary kept all of that in her heart. Just think she would have shared, she would have been definitely misunderstood and become an object of ridicule. It's like, who do you think you are? You're going to give birth to the Son of the Most High. There are things that the Lord may reveal to you, but if you share it with others, we will always be misunderstood. Going back to Joseph, this is what 11th chapter says about him, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. I mean, this is such an incredible statement about Joseph. Of all the things that went on in his life, he says, when he was dying, he told the Israelites, when you go out of Egypt, here's his fate. God told Abraham that after four generations, I will come and he will bring my people out of Egypt. He believed what God said to his great-grandfather Abraham. And accordingly, he said, when you go out, which he knew by faith that will happen, take my bones with you. All I'm saying is, of all the things that went on from his life, this is one thing that Holy Spirit picked from his life. And he said, he said it by faith. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Just pay attention to what he says. They were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 11, says, Beloved, he's addressing the believers. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. He doesn't say, Beloved, be a pilgrim in your spiritual life. Be a sojourner. He says, You are a pilgrim. The word sojourner means to leave a place temporarily. It comes from Roman time. If anybody was not a Roman citizen, they couldn't stay in one city more than three months. They had to move around and eventually go when they came from. Bible begins, we see that man was at home, a home that God designed. Bible calls it Garden of Eden, which was a paradise. Just imagine, God designed the first home for humanity. There's this show on TV called Open Door AD. How many of you are familiar with that show? But none of you, I guess. <laughs> It's a show that once in a while I watch it on YouTube. It's called Open Door AD. AD short for Architecture Digest magazine. Every episode showcases home of a celebrity. And this is how it all begins. Some group of people from AD, Architecture Digest, would come, knock the door, and the celebrity would open the door, and he would say, come on in, AD. And the whole show, the celebrities, show different parts of their house, starting, let's say, from living room to dining room, the kitchen, every part of their house. And this is what is common among all of them. They all talk about the architect who designed their house. They all talk about the interior designer who decorated the house. What is common among them is that it's so proud who the architect is, who the interior designer is, and who built the house. 
They're all beautiful houses, expensive houses, no expenses were spared, and I enjoy watching them. I said that just for you to imagine that God designed the first home for humanity, but that didn't last too long. They lost their home, they were driven out of their home, and since then, humanity has become a stranger, a homeless stranger. Because of the friendship between the two, man and God broke, there was no place on this earth that was friendly with God. When I was thinking about this, I realized there's two homes that God created for humanity. First one is the Garden of Eden. The second one is the city of heaven in Jerusalem. In between, as believers, you know that from the time that the Lord came to us, we felt at home right from the beginning. There is a wonderful at-homeness being with the Lord in his church, among the people, and that's in between the Garden of Eden and heavenly Jerusalem. The system of this world changed when that friendship broke between God and man to a point that there is no restful home for humanity in this world because the world is not friend with God. That is how the Bible begins and then coming to Abraham all through his life as he came to the promised land, he lived in tents. He's one of them that the Bible says, a letter to Hebrews, they are seeking after a country of their own, a place which they can call home. In the same way, people of Israel were pilgrims and strangers, and they never had a rest even when they went to the promised land. The reason is because they were in a world which God had rejected, a world which was not in friendship with God. This is what Hebrews 4 says, 4 verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You see, Ur of the Chaldeans was a metropolitan city, one of the great cities for that time. Abraham lived there for 60 years, and then he came to Haran, another 10 years, altogether 70 years that Abraham lived in his city. When God said, get out of your country, that's because God rejected Chaldea and all that it means, the people and the city altogether. God rejected them. That's the separation God wanted from Abraham. This is a basic step in our spiritual journey. It's not a phase. It's just a basic step. Jesus made this basic separation from the world when he was baptized, declaring to the whole world, to man and to hell, that his heart was separated to God. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he began to be tested for the step which he had taken, that is, separation from the world. And if you want to know what Jesus thought about the world, just read the 11th chapter of Gospel of John, he repeatedly refers to the world and says and prays that Father would save them from this world. As he prayed, and he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What was the world to which Jesus was referring? The only world that the disciples knew was the religious world. And that's the only world that Jesus lived in these 33 and a half years of his life on earth. The world is a spirit, a mindset, a power, and is not friendship with God. The world means independence from God, 
being able to live without him in its own way, it is self-centered and it's not God-centered. It's governed, deceived, and blinded by Satan. That's the world. It's a power. It's a mindset. Now, Abraham lived in Ur and Haran for a total of 70 years. 70 years is a great number of years to live in this age. So he lived 70 years in cities, but coming to the land of Canaan, he never sailed in any of the cities in the land. God so worked in his life that settling anywhere was out of the question for him. Just realize, 70 years he lived in a city, and then coming to the promised land for another 105 years, Altogether, he lived 175 years. For 105 years, he lives in in tents, moving from one point to another. He never settled in any of the cities. The question is why? Why he never settled in any city? The answer for that comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 10. He says, For he waited for the city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11:16. but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The heavenly things got such a hold on Abraham's life that nothing besides heavenly could satisfy him. This is a very real phase in our spiritual journey. When we begin, that's not a phase. It's just a definite divine act. But this phase is a time that we go through in our spiritual journey. The truth is that it is very unnatural not wanting to settle in any place we call home. Whether it's a house or an apartment, anything in between, it is very unnatural not to want to settle somewhere. When my children were young, my wife introduced them to camping. And I went along with them. The first thing I did, I bought a two-bedroom tent and all the gear you need for camping and we went camping i loved it because they loved it i mean my wife enjoyed it and the girls enjoyed it but by nature i'm not a camper (laughs) i'm what you call not a happy camper For simple reasons, I would miss the comfort being at home. You know, the small things, the little things, you know, we take for granted. My point is this. Even if I sell everything we have and I take my family to a desert and live in a tent and move about from one point to another, that's not going to make me a pilgrim. Certainly not in its biblical sense. Our pilgrimage is spiritual. It's not physical. It's not your lifestyle. It's not the home you live. Our pilgrimage or sojourning is spiritual. The common interpretation of us as Christians being uh, pilgrims, people say this life is temporary, we are all passing by. My question to you is this, who isn't passing by? Do you know anybody that's been hanging around, let's say, from 1400s? (laughs) Of course not. Everybody is passing away, whether they're believers or not. That's the point. You see, this is the thing that God did in Abraham's life. God did such an amazing work in Abraham, which made it impossible for him to settle in any of the cities in the land of Canaan. In the same way, God works in such a way in our lives that we should never come to a spiritual position and stop. Let that sink in. 
Remember, our pilgrimage is spiritual and not physical. There are many Christians that at the beginning of their being born again, God blessed them. They got to have the taste how faithful God is and all that. But they stop somewhere in their spiritual life and live the rest of their lives praising the Lord for the good old days. Good old days, I'm talking about when they were born again, how God blessed them, this and that. But they never go beyond that. When you stop anywhere in your spiritual journey and settle down, that will be settling in your spiritual pilgrimage. I told you our pilgrimage is spiritual. If you settle somewhere in your spiritual life, that will be settling in your spiritual pilgrimage. The picture of it in the Old Testament for Abraham was if he would have settled in any of the cities in the land of Canaan. That's the picture of it. That's why he was a pilgrim. He lived in the tents because he was waiting for the heavenly city of Jerusalem. If we stop in our spiritual journey anywhere, that would be settling in your spiritual journey. And the picture of it again for Abraham would have been if he settled in any of the cities in the land of Canaan. Let me just share a brief history of the Christianity. Right after the apostles died, church went in different direction, of course in the wrong direction. Fast forward to Catholicism, they came to a point that they were selling land in heaven. Martin Luther was a monk during that time. This is uh, the dark ages. Martin Luther was one of the monks during that time, frustrated with his spiritual life to a point that one day another monk tapped his shoulder and he said, quoted a verse from the Bible, and he said, The just shall live by faith. Here, Catholic Church was preaching that being saved is by works, but this one verse revolutionized the life of Martin Luther. Through that came the Reformation, which the residue of it today is the Presbyterian churches. Great wealth of knowledge came from that time. Same thing, the churches right after. Especially in mid-1850s, there's a great number of churches that came like the Brethren Churches. And a great wealth of knowledge came from them, preaching that you're saved by faith, not by works, and everything along the truth from the New Testament. Coming down to our day and age, we have the Evangelical Churches. And some of the Evangelical Churches, they do a great job bringing people in Christ. But that's the end of their spiritual journey. Their denominational spiritual journey ends when someone comes to Christ and is born again. The Pentecostals, they go a step further. As long as the born-again believer begins to speak in tongues, that's where they come to their plateau and stop in their spiritual journey. But that's no reason to stop anywhere in our spiritual journey. The point is this. Once these churches stop their work at their desired destination, by that I'm saying every denomination has their desired destination. Once these churches stop their work at their desired destination, they bring their spiritual pilgrimage to a halt. And the picture of it again, I'm going to say it, for Abraham would have been if he settled in any of the city in the land of Canaan. Coming to know the Lord Jesus is the purpose of our spiritual pilgrimage. Our pilgrimage as believers has absolutely nothing to do where you live that you call home. Our pilgrimage is spiritual. More we see our Lord Jesus, closer we are to our inheritance. He is our inheritance, just as God said to Abram, 
I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Let's look at his call again, because our call as believers in, in the New Testament is identical with the call of Abraham. God says, get out of your country. We did. When we said yes to the Lord, we came out of the world. God himself put us in Christ. He said, come out of your family and from your kindred. We did. Every one of us, we came individually. God is not dealing with a nation or a special group of people. If I am saved, it doesn't mean that my entire family is saved. Every one of them, they have to come to the Lord and be saved. We did that. Then the next step, he says, to a land that I will show you. You have to go on with him until he shows you the land. Remember, the land he's going to show you is not on this earth. What land is it that he's going to show you? The heavenly city of Jerusalem. That's what Abraham saw. I mean, that's one of the amazing works of God in the life of Abraham that he came to see the heavenly Jerusalem. And he's waiting for it. That's so amazing about it. In John chapter 8, verse 56, this is what Jesus said. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Hallelujah. Abraham saw the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We are pilgrims and strangers, which means that we will never come to a finality here on earth. As much as you have seen the Lord, there is always something more. There is always a higher ground with him. Until that spiritual gravitation takes hold of your life, just like Abraham, he was waiting for the city of heavenly Jerusalem. I call it a gravitational pull towards heaven. That happens when the Lord works. Just like Abraham, you will be waiting for the city which has foundation, whose builder and architect is God. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Just think of this. How could Abraham see the heavenly Jerusalem without seeing the Lord Jesus? What is heavenly Jerusalem? What is it? She's the bride. It's the bride of Christ. Bride, the church united with the Lord. How could he see that spiritual city without seeing our Lord Jesus? Paul says something amazing in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, all the ministries our Lord Jesus appointed for the church... Holy Spirit gives all the gifts, and God does all the work. I often wondered, what work? That work in Abraham, to bring him to a point that he will be able to see what he has called him for. Just think, how does our spiritual life begin? When you were born again, you saw our Lord Jesus for the first time. Before that day, he could have been a historical figure for you, or at best, a religious one. But all of a sudden, he becomes your Lord and Savior. For the first time, you come to see him as he is the Son of God. So the rest of our life is the same thing, a continuous seeing of the Lord. Our rest of the life is just going forward, seeing him at every step of the way, at a higher ground and a higher ground all the way to the end. That's our spiritual pilgrimage as believers in Christ. God said to a land that I will show you. The land he's going to show you is the heavenly city of Jerusalem. As I said, what is it? It's the church, the bride of Christ united with the Lord Jesus. In the language of the Old Testament, as I said it last night, 
Our Lord Jesus is the land flowing with milk and honey. As I said last night, I love that phrase in the Old Testament, land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the meaning of our spiritual pilgrimage, to go on and see more of him who is our inheritance. I'm going to finish this session by saying this. There's this image in my head, been with me for many years. It's not a vision. It's just how I understand our higher calling. Actually, it's a moving picture. It's not an image. What I have in mind is that God is walking along this open field with his arms open. And he says, as he goes continuously, he never stops. He tells everybody, come along with me. Follow me. And once in a while, people will come and follow him, but a great majority do not. That's our calling. Following him until he shows you the land. Amen. Amen. We will continue with the next session.